Welcome, friends. Thank you for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. I'm Gwen DeSelm, and it is my pleasure to be your host for this weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and then put into practice. Our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry and was the founding senior pastor of a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Today, Dave is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering help and hope to everyday pastors through coaching and other resources. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Well, in this episode, we're going to look at three basic ways that people respond to conflict. In this message, Dave uses a, a diagram to illustrate these approaches to conflict, and we've put that diagram in this episode's show notes. So if having a visual is helpful for you, you can find it at davedesellministries.org slash podcast slash 133. So let's join Dave now for this practical, personal message, the slippery slope of conflict. We're engaged in a teaching series called Blessed are the Peacemakers, and the premise behind it is quite simple. In our conflicted world, where relational breakdowns are oh so common, those who would seek peace, those who would pursue reconciliation, are very special to the one who is called the Prince of Peace. He looks for this in his disciples. And part of your discipleship and part of my discipleship is leaning into this new way. We've already discussed in our first couple weeks together how this affects us on a macro scale. I used the $10 word last week, ethnocentrism. And ethnocentrism is the attitude that your culture, your race, your gender, your age is more superior, is more significant than others. The, probably the uglier word for it is the word I termed tribalism. Your tribe, my tribe. Again, a tribe isn't simply race. It could be the tribe of men versus women, the tribe of young versus old, the tribe of educated versus not so educated. By the way, if you notice tribalism in churches, it's our church. We're going to one-up your church. This issue that we have to address this morning is no small thing. It is so deeply rooted that my tribe is more significant that the only thing that will trump that thinking is what Paul taught us about a whole new tribe. That when you come to Christ, no matter your age, your race, your gender, your economic situation, there's this whole new tribe called the family of God. And it trumps every other tribe. When we become Christians... We may retain our cultural affinity, but it is no longer our primary identity. Make no mistake, part of the beauty in the tapestry of humanity is what your tribe brings to it. We are richer because of the uniqueness of your tribe, but we have to understand that all too easily that can head south and can become quite ugly. Notwithstanding that challenge on a macro scale or collective level, however, I think the bigger issue for most of us in this room is on a smaller scale, personal level. When you do battle with your spouse, parents who do battle with their kids, folks on the job, or even those within the church, it's here that conflict most often explodes. To define that word conflict, just to get started this morning, look to the dictionary and it says, conflict means to come into collision or disagreement 
to be at variance or in opposition, to contend or to do battle, conflict. See, the seeds of conflict are sown when people disagree. The roots of conflict are grown when people not only want their way, they think it's the only way. You've heard the phrase, it's my way or the highway. That's where we now go from the seeds to the root. See, people vary in their likes and their dislikes. That's good. But when people see their likes or dislikes as right for everybody, that's bad. People disagree, that's fine. But when the disagreement leads to demands, that's not so fine. Conflict. The result inevitably is relational breakdown. As long as we have people, we will have differences. Just will. There are Cubs fans and there are Cardinals fans. There are those who lose and those who win. There are the good guys and the bad guys, right? As long as we have differences, we'll have tension. As long as we have tension, we'll have collisions. And as long as we have collisions, we're going to have conflict. You cannot get away from this. You cannot. What you have to decide is how you're going to handle what is inevitable. Interestingly enough, it really is a spiritual problem. In that fourth chapter of James, have you found it? Look what Jesus' brother writes here, beginning in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. Now keep in mind, James is writing to Christians here. These are Christians. These are people, to use the terms we've already used in the series, they've been justified before God. They've been, uh, in a wonderful way, regenerated. They, they're new people in the spiritual realm. They're new people in Christ. So why is it that they have trouble with conflict? Because no matter, notwithstanding not, not the fact that you become a Christian and you have a new nature, you still have this thing called the flesh. This is what resonates to temptation. Your flesh resonates to pride, to jealousy, to greed, to lust. It resonates. And it also resonates to the idea, I want what I want when I want it. This is what James is addressing here in this text. It may be seen, the crazy thing is, if you discovered you can have a fight about the craziest stuff, especially in your, in your home, you can have a fight about someone who left the dishes in the sink. You can have a fight about someone who won't put the lid down. Why can't we just decide to keep the lid up? I don't know, just, just a thought. Just a thought. You can have a fight about where you go on vacation. You can have a fight about how you spend your money. Doesn't take much. And look at James says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel. Now, many times, to be sure, it's a lot worse than this. Conflict is born of deception and betrayal and abuse, and it's a far more serious thing. So it's really a complex issue, but let me see if I can give you a diagram this morning. You might want to get a pen or pencil out and work at filling in the uh, diagram, the illustration that I put in your notes, and see if this might help you 
keep this with you perhaps uh, in the days ahead and, and take a look at it. Typically, as you look at this diagram, when people have a conflict, when they have a quarrel, when they have a fight, the natural response is either flight or fight, withdraw or do battle, escape or attack. Those are the two extremes here in the diagram. We've got the whole idea of escape response and the idea of attack response here. Now imagine that this hill is it's covered with ice and it's slippery. And if you don't watch your step, you're going to slide to one extreme or the other. To keep your balance is no easy thing when it comes to conflict. In fact, that's why we desperately need God's help with this. I've read... James 4.2, the second half of it, and James 4.3, a hundred times, hundreds of times in my life. I'd never seen before this week what I think it really means. Take a look. James 4.2, get a running start. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now look at the very next phrase. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask You do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I've probably shared with you dozens of times, you have not because you do not ask God. That is to say, God is prepared to do things for you that he will not do if you do not ask. He takes so seriously your adoption into his family that if you do not assume your authority as a child of God and actually ask in prayer, there is that which he could do that he will not do. Does that make sense? That's why prayer is so important. But what struck me this week for the first time is what this is tied to. What's this tied to? This is about praying about what? Conflict. Conflict. I wonder how many times when you break down with a person, your first response is, God, I need your help. God, have mercy on me in this. God, if you don't come through for us in this thing, this relationship is really going to take, take a thumping. Prayer, primarily, according to this context, is on the issue of conflict. I think it's quite striking to see. It's about conflict. Now, back to our diagram. Let's go to the escape side first. There are three different elements, all in descending order, that escape uh, is characterized by. First of all, there's the idea of denial. Denial. Someone said, denial is a river in Egypt. <laughs> That's as close to a joke as you're going to hear this morning, friends, so you better take advantage of it right there, all right? <laughs> denial is more than a river in Egypt, all right? So we've got denial. What is denial? Denial is to say, oh, by the way, the escape side, the, the motto for escape side is this, peace at any cost. Some of you grew up that way. Your family of origin was peace at any cost. Don't bring it up, don't rock the boat, don't talk about it. Can some of you identify with this? Peace, peace at any cost. So you go to denial, which is to say this, problem, what problem? We don't have a problem. I don't see a problem, do you see a problem? There's no problem. There was just a little misunderstanding for the past six days. We'll get over it. And you've learned to cope this way. Here's what happens, it begins to go underground. And resentment begins to build. There may not be an outright 
explosion, but now there's a slow simmering. It goes underground. Now, mark it well. We're going to get to this in just a few moments. I am not saying that every time you get out of sorts with somebody, you need to make a major thing about it. There are times you need to overlook it. Let it go for crying out loud. However, many times, if you do not get a grip on this, it will only get worse. Here's the thing. A little thing plus a little thing plus a little thing becomes a what? Big thing. Have you discovered this when you've done battle with someone you love? The smallest thing will set you off, and it's totally disproportionate to the offense. And you find yourself saying, what did I do? You just went ballistic. What did I do? It's not what you did then. It's because you guys have let it build and build and build and build, and then the seat was left up. (laughs) And you would think that World War III is going to go right there. You let it build and build and build. This is the explosion. This is what denial will cost you. Now, if denial is one aspect of escape, here's another one. It's withdrawal. Withdrawal. In this one here, it's not that you don't admit to a problem. You admit to it. You just won't deal with it. You just won't deal with it. You're going to either choose to live with it or run from it. I'll tell you how some of you withdraw. You determine that you're going to punish her by freezing her out. You're going to go quiet, and it's become real clear that you are not a happy camper. And you're going to walk through that house for hours, if not days. And you're going to punish each other by withdrawing from the problem. Again, as with denial, what's happening? It's building. It's building. You say, well, we got over it. After a few days, we'll get over it. Really? Or does it simply add to the old stuff that's already there. Withdrawal. It it could be literal distancing. I'm gonna go stay with mom for three days. I'm gonna quit the job. I'm gonna back out of the ministry. I'm gonna opt out of the small group. I'm gonna change churches. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen would-be disciples who when they get out of sorts with somebody, instead of using a biblical way of dealing with conflict, they leave the church. And I just want to scream and say, if Christians can't handle this, how in the world can anybody else? Withdraw. Withdraw. It doesn't ever solve the problem. It distances you from the problem and inevitably distances you from the person in the relationship. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. There are some times when it's more than appropriate to withdraw from somebody. If you need to calm down, if you need to organize your thoughts, if you need to pray, if you're being physically threatened, It's appropriate to withdraw, but these are the exceptions to the rule. They aren't the rule. Finally, when all hopes of solving a problem are gone, you come to the ultimate on the escape side. You know what it is? It's suicide. It's suicide. I'm done. I'm done. The ultimate escape. Nothing is more devastating because nothing is more permanent. And yet suicide is now the third highest cause of death among adolescents in the United States. Could it be that many kids opt for that because they never saw how to handle conflict from their parents? As far as they knew, just get away. Get away, get apart, end it all. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. 
Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. You can also support us in this ministry. Just go to davedesellministries.org and click on the Donate button. Dave Desell Ministries offers resources for everyday pastors so they can equip the everyday people they lead to become everyday disciples. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Everyday Pastor blog. In each post, Dave offers practical insight and personal experience born of over 40 years of pastoral leadership. This blog covers topics that everyday pastors and leaders need to strengthen their skills, sharpen their vision, and care for their souls. You can find the Everyday Pastor blog on our website, davedesellministries.org. Now, here's Dave with the rest of today's teaching. On contrast, at the other extreme is what I call the attack side. The attack side. If the motto of the left side was peace at any cost, the motto of the right side is win at all costs. Win at all costs. All right? Attack mode. Again, there are three stages of this. Call the first one assault. Assault. This is the determination that you are going to power up and exert your authority. You may power up physically. Most of us, though, don't opt for that as much. We power up verbally, and we tear into a person. Some of you know it well in your relationships. There is one who can out-talk and out-muscle verbally the other one, and after a while, you just bludgeoned with their words. Assault. It could be verbal attacks. It could be financial threats. Assault. Some of us saw this modeled. We saw dad power up on mom. We heard the curses. We saw the things thrown. We witnessed the threats. Often when you see this modeled in your home, you opt for one or two extremes. You say to yourself, I will never do that, ever. And which side do you go to? Escape. There are others of you who would say, in effect, it's all I've ever known. It's all I've ever known. When you get mad, you yell. You curse. You throw things. You threaten. Assault as in a, a way to do battle. Here's the crazy thing. Let me tell you something. To you who power up, you can win the battle and you can lose the war. You can power up on your kids and you can yell at your kids and you can exert your authority in your kids and you can choose simply by virtue of the fact that you hold the car keys and the bank account. And the time's going to come when that kid says, see ya. You can power up in a marriage and you can threaten her because you make the money, you pay the rent. It happens to me all the time. I'll get a phone call from my wife, and she'll say, I'm done. I've been verbally bludgeoned. I've been financially threatened. I'm done. I said, how are you going to live? She said, I really don't care. All I know is I'm not going to live with him. And I could say to him, you won those battles, didn't you, pal? You just lost the war. And it cost you a lot. Which brings us to the second way to force people to bend to our will, call it litigation. Go to court. Go to court. I'm going to file for divorce. I'm going to sue. 
don't get me wrong, there may be some issues that need to go to court. Let me tell you something. When you go to court, all bets are off relationally. All the court cares about is the cold, hard law. They could care less about your relationships. And once it gets to that point, you're at the mercy of the attorneys or the judge. It's too late, because now it's in the system, and the system will do what it wants to do. Finally, in extreme cases, people may become so desperate to win that the ultimate is murder. If the ultimate escape is suicide, the ultimate attack is murder. I will have my way, and I will take you out to have that way. So those are the two extremes on this slippery slope. Is there any other way? I suggest there is, and we're going to spend the rest of the series talking about that. Call it the peacemaking responses, each of which is empowered by the Spirit and encouraged by the Scriptures and directed toward conflict resolution. Here's the first one. We're going to talk a bit about this next week. Call the first one to overlook. Let me tell you something, friends. Not everything is make worth, making worth a federal case out of. Let it go, for crying out loud. Do you really have to win all the time? Do you have to have the last word every time? Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let it go. Don't you ever say bonehead stuff? Don't you ever do short-sighted stuff? Aren't you glad when you say, just let it go. Let it go. I've had bad days. I've let it go. All right. Proverbs twelve sixteen. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. And when we do this, we're following God's example. Psalm one hundred three. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God chooses to go the extra mile and letting it go. Can't you do the same if you claim to be one of his children? Let it go. You don't have to win. You don't have to make your point. You don't have to show that they're the fool. Let it go. Now, overlooking offenses is good unless for three conditions. Let me give you three conditions when you should not overlook an offense. First, if it has created a wall between the two of you, you can't overlook it. This isn't a speed bump. This is a real wall. You cannot overlook that. Second, you cannot overlook it if it would cause you to feel negatively toward them for more than a short length of time. If this would become something that would just simmer, something would just go on and on and on, you can't overlook that. And third, you cannot overlook it if it is a chronic offense. It happens again and again and again and again. Apart from those three, though, ask yourself, is it really worth fighting about? The second thing, and this is a big one that we're going to spend several weeks on, is reconciliation. What all does that include? Well, next week we're going to talk about how that begins with confession. You know what? 
Proverbs 28, 13 says, those who conceal their sins do not prosper. Those who confess and renounce them find mercy. Perhaps one of the best things that you should do whenever you're in a conflict is to ask God, again, for wisdom. How have I caused this? What's my role in this? What do I have to take responsibility for? You say, she's all wrong. That's very seldom the case. Very seldom. If nothing else, your sinful response to her sinful activity was wrong. And you would do well to start with confession before you ever go to confrontation. You're also going to have to deal with this thing called forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to spend multiple weeks on forgiveness. What it is, what it isn't, how to do it. And finally, we're going to talk about actually going to the person. Matthew 18.15, if your brother sins against you, Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. We're going to talk about how do you go at the right time, with the right attitude, in the right way, seeking reconciliation, not to make your point. How do you do that? And finally, mediation. Mediation. What if you go to somebody, it doesn't work. It does not work. This is one of the most underused aspects of the church. Jesus said these words, if he will not listen, take one or two others along. If he will not listen, take one or two others along. Matthew 18, 16. What's he saying? Get a bunch of your friends who can buttress your position and bully him. (laughs) You look for a wise, spirit-filled, neutral man or woman who you can both agree upon who may be able to offer some wise insight. Did you hear what she was saying? Do you see where he's coming from? I sense you're not even giving this a chance. You're trying to win more than trying to reconcile. If the church would do this far more, really loving each other well with mediation, I think we'd see a lot of conflicts, marital and otherwise, fall to the ground. Conflict is inevitable. And it brings us to a slippery slope. Again, the escape response, well, I call that peace faking. It's not really peace. It's peace faking. You just hid. You withdrew. You denied. On the other hand, with the uh, attack, I call that peace breaking. You're determined to win at all costs. Both escape and attack will cause you to fall off the slope. In fact, you can K-R-Y-G. You can kiss your relationship goodbye. (laughs) Really. You're going to choose to escape. It's going to simply die. You're going to choose to attack. You're going to kill it. You can just kiss it goodbye. And there's not a one of us in this room that does not have tombstones in your relational graveyard and much of it's due to your fault. You withdrew from a conflict or you attacked in the conflict and all you have are the memories. You see the headstone with the names of family members and friends who you broke down with instead of looking for that third option. Not peace faking or peace breaking, but peacemaking. Peacemaking. And that, I think, is worth fighting for. Let's pray together, shall we? Before I offer the prayer, I'm going to ask you a question. 
What is your typical response to conflict? Escape or attack? Flight or fight? Withdraw or power up? What do you typically do? Where'd you learn it? Where'd you learn how to do that? My guess is probably your family. Last question. How's it working for you? Is your relational world healthier because you choose to escape or to attack? Lord, you have said that we have not because we ask not. And so we're asking you, please help us. There's not a one of us here who's not been marked by the family of origin, picked up coping mechanisms along the way. Been so hurt at a point in time that we determined from now on I'm going to withdraw. From now on I'm going to get the first shot in. God help us. We think of those in our family, our spouses, our kids, and how they've been victimized by our poor conflict resolution skills. What are we teaching our children? What are we showing them? How to yell? How to punish with silence? How to threaten? I think of friendships that are long, long gone in my own world, long gone friendships. I withdrew or I attacked and they're gone. Have mercy on us. Jesus, you were the Prince of Peace, and you want us to be peacemakers, but we're not very good at it. I, I'm not very good at it. I want to be. So over these next weeks, help me to address each one of these things with real, real candor. Help me to own my failures. Stop making excuses. That's just the way I am. That's how I was brought up. And instead, to follow your guidelines and maybe just maybe know your success. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.